welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and today we're going to have a follow-up conversation with Episode 5 guest Corey Pavlich. Now, I'm, I'm personally pretty excited to learn about the process he went through for his research he was doing when we spoke with him last time, and uh, I'm excited to find out if he's discovered anything new. But before we get to that, I first have to introduce my co-host. At this point, I'm pretty sure he's more turkey than human. Please welcome my good friend, Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm uh, I'm very happy to be here today. I, I just wanted to start this podcast off uh, just saying a couple of things that we're thankful for. And uh, I want to say that I'm thankful for both of you being here today. And uh, what a wonderful year it's been for video games. It's It's probably been the most amount of video games that I can't play to date, and uh, I tend to continue that trend into the next year. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm thankful for um, for your help on making this podcast a thing, and um, I'm thankful for the uh, the little bit of success that we've we've had so far in creating it. I'm I'm really uh, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished so far. There are people outside of the two of us that listen to this thing, so I, know. I consider that a win. I'm also I'm also thankful that you didn't do uh, a, a goofy ass intro. I had to try to uh, improv with, though, so thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, Jared, yes, I don't want to stall for too much longer because we have a, a great guest with us. He's a uh, he's a friend of the show. He's a PhD candidate in the Department of Communications at the University of Arizona. As you may remember, he studies links between video games and aggression, and his work has been published in various science journals. Please welcome Corey Pavlich back to the show. Corey, how you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, man. Happy Thanksgiving. How was your How was your holiday? It was good. Very low key. Uh, I I made I made a, a turkey and the fiance approved, so I was I was pretty psyched about that. Um, besides that, just working on collecting dissertation data and uh, trying to trying to get a job. Right on. So you're in the uh, the looking for a, a job phase now, huh? Yep. I'll, always <laughs> exciting. I don't I don't envy you in that position. But how did the so, turkey turn out? Oh, it was awesome. I I, I had a, I tried a new brine on it. Um, tried a new style of style of making it, and I've never made it like that before. And um, came out really well. And what did you use in your brine? Uh, we had some orange peel, some sage, uh, a little rosemary, some cracked pepper. Um, and then we had that marinating. Um, we had that like not marinating, but like uh, we had that on the on the turkey for about I don't know twenty seven hours. Not bad. Then we put it in there at about I don't know noon. Had dinner about six. Right on, man. That sounds sounds good. like a good good time. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Well, this has been Turkey Talk with Jared and Steve. Uh, make sure to join <laughs> us next week. <laughs> what is everybody's top five video games about turkeys? <laughs> I don't know that I could name one. Oh my god, there was uh, a th- th- that South Park game. There's that South Park game and they had the angry turkeys in the it. N6- <laughs> yeah, the N64 version. Right on. Uh, so Corey, what have, what have you been up to uh since we last spoke? So you you were you joined us back in episode 5. Um I don't know how long ago was that? How was that Jared, do you know? I mean, I don't know, probably about 6 months ago. Yeah, jeez, man. What have you been up to outside of like video games and and video game related research? Uh, so I'm collecting my dissertation data right now, and um, so I'm stuck in a lab probably 40 hours a week on top of just normal research and the job hunt and trying to prepare for my wedding and stuff like that. So so you, what you're saying is you've had a lot of time to play games. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I did get my hands on an S- SNES Classic, though, so I was all right pretty on. psyched. Both of you were just going to be rubbing it in at my face all year, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I did. I broke it open. <laughs> nice what, what are you jamming on on there uh so actually i just um i i never when i was a kid i never was good at uh ghosts and goblins mm. so they had the super uh super ghosts and goblins or ghosts and ghouls i forget what it's called but um man games get, like games back in the early 90s were like significantly harder than i remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like i was better at gaming when i was younger I just don't like think my toler- I, I just don't my think tolerance I for that. I just didn't get it. I just didn't get as angry. Like, you know, you- it's just the way games were. Right. But there's definitely like games that I could go back and play. I don't remember having as difficult of a time on when I was younger as I do today when I go back and play them. I'm like, holy shit. Like, how was I doing this when I was eight? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I've been playing a bit of Cuphead lately, and uh, it makes me feel like games back when I was a kid, and I'm sure I would have been much better at it back then, but man, that game is punishing, and it just reminds me of that old school video game design. Yeah, we all saw your stream, Jared. We know we know how you're doing on Cuphead. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciated I appreciated your support in that those, stream. Those games with one hit kills, though, man. Like I, we were playing. Um, my buddy has uh, an NES classic, and we, we were uh, playing Contra on it. And I just remember just just the the, the the punishing nature of those, especially two player, because you can't like move forward until like the person behind you is also going because the screen won't advance. That can get. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to end a friendship. <laughs> Well, Corey, for, for people who um, maybe don't remember all the way back to episode five or are newer listeners that didn't enjoy episode five when we released it, uh, let's talk a little bit about the study you were working on at that time. So I guess fill people in on like sort of generally what, what it was that you were researching at that time. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest arguments, especially with like video games and government and the media in general, is that video games have this detrimental effect where if we play violent video games, it's going to make us act violently in the real world. Um, my my research wanted to focus on, like, maybe maybe it's not just video games in general, but maybe it's, like, a certain type of video games, and maybe certain type of video games have different things within them that can cause increased or, for that matter, decreased aggression. So one of the key aspects of video games that I thought doesn't get enough attention was what are known as moral disengagement cues, or as I refer to them in my study as moral engagement cues. And essentially moral disengagement cues are those cues that disassociate people from these acts of violence and disassociate people from like the things that are commonly found within acts of violence. So for instance, um, video games like Halo or, uh, you know, Bioshock or things like that, they they will have these like acts of violence, but then they're either, you know, they're cartoonized or they, they don't necessarily show like the detrimental effects associated with acts of violence. So, you know, if we, if we go out and murder somebody in the real world, you know, it's not like we just press start select and we're back at the main menu and can redo that level. Um, uh, you don't, Typically in video games, you don't often see people crying out in agony and, and begging for their life. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but that's not something that we commonly see. Or like, you know, maybe acts of violence are going against alien races. So these, these, these violent acts are things that disassociate the user from the act of violence. So I wanted to see whether or not if a game contained those versus what I called moral engagement cues. So think about the opposite. So things like people screaming out in pain, people begging for their lives, people, you know, not being necessarily rewarded. So, you know, you play, you play shooters like Call of Duty, Black Ops and things like that. Um, or you play uh, Battlefield, you get like little achievements if you go on a kill streak or you get achievements for how you kill people or like the range, um, people will be rewarded for that. Well, certain games like the one that I studied, which is called hatred didn't necessarily reward you for the amount of kills that you got. Yeah. You had to kill a a number of people, but the whole point was to commit like the most mass murder possible. So it didn't really give you a reward. That was just your objective. So I wanted to see whether or not that those two types of games differed in terms of how they made people act violently or or not act violently. Now, when you set out to do this study, like how, how did you land sort of on this this topic to research? Well, me being a video game player, and, and I'm sure you guys probably have had this thought at one point or another, I I hate it when people think that the video games are the reason that people are committing these acts of violence. You know, I mean, it's very easy to blame something, especially mm-hmm. with uh, especially with something like violent media as the cause of the problem. And me being a researcher, it's like, well, if you're going to if you're going to call something a cause, then I want proof to back this up. And I want I want there to be some sort of evidence that there is a link between, you know, object A and object B or uh, cause and effect. So I think that, you know, looking at games that were violent and, you know, I was a kid and I played Grand Theft Auto and things like that. And I didn't go out and murder people. I became a grad student. So, I mean, (laughs) 
Yeah, so I just it, it's just trying to find those links. You know, if people are going to if if we're constantly under attack as a gaming community for the types of games we want to play, then I don't know, maybe it's a reactance thing. Maybe I just I'm getting sick and tired of people like always blaming the video games themselves and I just want to provide research that can make it beneficial for either side. I just want to provide the research. Let people come up with their own opinions based on actual evidence. When you were looking at gotcha. that, did you feel like there was a lack of adequate research or, or valid studies that have been done in the past? Is that why? Is that kind of the reason that you took it upon yourself? So I think that whenever you look at video game research, I mean, there, there has been, ever since video games have existed, they've been looking at types of uh, cause and effect relationships between aggression, between learning capabilities and things like that. But when you're looking at something from a social scientific aspect or for any aspect um, in science, the whole point of the, this research is to try to account for the amount of variance or what is causing variability in our outcomes. So if we were to just look at one particular, one particular variable, we might explain at like a very high thing like, oh, 50% of the time this may happen. Well, what happens the other 50% of the time? You can't just say that nothing happens. There's, there's obviously going to be other things that are introduced in everybody's personal lives, in the games themselves, uh, different aspects of the games that ha weren't accounted for. And I think that explaining the most amount of variation or being able to explain the the most that we can about what is causing a certain effect you know it, it's beneficial for everybody because then we can say like under this circumstance in conjunction with this circumstance partnered with this circumstance is the reason why this is happening so you sort of see it as as like um like a piece of a, a larger puzzle and you're just trying to like identify you know what shade of sky is on this puzzle piece that you're looking at exactly now i'm, I'm curious how do you how do you go about sort of designing this this research this study like once you've once you've landed on a topic can you briefly just tell us uh like what that beginning process is before you even get to experimenting yeah sure so i mean that's it, what you just said is actually one of the uh, most interesting aspects is whether or not do i want to do survey research or do i want to do experimental research so me experimental research isolates a variable of interest so like let's hypothetically say i'm doing my research and i find something that's interesting and that's where it starts. Find something that's interesting to you because you're going to want to do better research. You're going to do more uh, lucrative research. And you're just going to do something that's going to keep you engaged. So not to name drop on moral disengagement or anything like that. But if you find something that you're really engaged with and something that you really find interesting, you're going to do a better job at researching that particular topic. So the first thing is collecting all that information as to why do you think that a particular cause and effect relationship exists or why do you think that a link exists between variable a and outcome and an outcome um, then you want to determine whether or not you want to isolate your variable of interest which is what an experiment is used for and that's me I, I I do experimental research I think that it's fascinating to be able to put people in a lab and to be able to try to isolate a variable as much as possible because then we can attribute that relationship or that cause and effect relationship to that particular thing. So, you know, I'm able to isolate that from all other constraints. So that would be probably the first thing that I did with this study. Do you start to, I mean, I guess, because I'm not familiar with the, the process for putting together a research paper like the one you're working on, mm -hmm. but do you, um, I mean, do you have to get like people to sign off on it. Like, how do you how do you get money for it? I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that goes that goes into it, and and I'm sure we could talk about it for for a long time. But you know, what, what are the other considerations you have to take into account when you're setting something like this up? Well, so you need to first of all, you want to find something that's relevant. I mean, things that to get funding, for instance, people are not going to want to fund something that doesn't affect a large amount of people or doesn't affect it doesn't have a good like effect on society. So, you know, if I were to study something that only affects two or three people, the likelihood of me getting funding significantly decreases. So, you know, the pervasiveness of people playing video games, I, you know, video games are becoming a very, very big lead in, you know, at home entertainment. It used to be television 
Um, and now it's slowly like turning into like these more, you know, interactive forms of video games. So, you know, being able to prove to somebody or prove to a committee uh, or like a grant board that you have something that can benefit society or it has something that is so pervasive that affects a large amount of people, you know, they're going to take that into consideration. Second of all, is like a call to action. Like, why is this important? So, for instance, with the video game industry, you know, we can look at this we can look at the importance in a number of different ways, but the ways that I like reference it in my paper is one that it is becoming so big, which intrinsically makes it important, correct? Because now more people are being involved with video games, more people are having exposure mm -hmm. to video games, uh, and, and they are becoming more relevant in society. Um, three, people are playing games younger. So, I mean, you know, when, when I was a kid, I, I mean, I guess I played games at a young age, five, six, but... Um, that, that's, I mean, that's already young, but now, I mean, video games, this is the first, like we're in the first generation where kids have always had video games. They, oh yeah. Is, my son, my son is uh 21 months old and he already, you know, he plays pretty simple games on my phone, but it's things like matching shapes and he's already doing that on my phone. And, and that for, I think most intents and purposes is a video game. So yeah, at, at 21 months old, we've already got him sort of engaged with, with this style of media. And that's simply amazing. I mean, think about the fact that we can use electronic technology to, I'm not going to say replace, but I'm going to say it's going to um, help advance and it's going to assist with, you know, the development of children. They learn how to use technology. And I mean, that's, something that's vitally important in today's society today's society and it's it's always going to be it's never going we're, i mean unless there's like a giant electromagnetic pulse attack which we have to go back to the dark ages we are always going to have people that need to use technology i mean if i didn't know how to use the internet if i didn't know how to use video games and stuff like that i would never have made it as a grad student in today's society um so talking about things like why it's important i mean and especially with video game aggression and this kind of corresponds with that previous point is that with the recent trend in, you know, mass murder and things like that and trying to understand the human psyche when, like, why people are doing this. You know, back in the 90s, starting, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode with Columbine, you know, the first thing that they, I mean, think about it, Doom, 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 Doom did this, Doom did this. They played Doom. Uh, there was a guy, I think a couple years after that, um, a couple years, I should say, uh, early 2000s with Halo, said that, like, he killed his parents or his family because they took his Halo game away from him. Now, is that, if I were to tell you that, if the first thing that comes to your mind is like the video game is causing him, then that, that's where I find there, there's a big problem. You know, when people instantly stereotype, you know, a, a form of digital media, I mean, we have a problem in society when we stereotype people, yet we don't have a problem when we stereotype like certain things or objects. And we, we put this anecdata or like this these unique cases to identifying something between a cause and effect relationship. So being able to explain things like that to a board who wants to, you know, take a look and whether or not they want to fund your study. Hmm. Yeah. And we had um, Jamie Madigan on our show. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he's a psychologist uh, and, and writes uh, extensively on the links between psychology and video games. And uh, he also he also has his own podcast, which is very good, and I recommend everyone go listen to it. But one of the things that I I've gathered from reading his material and listening to his podcast is that there's just not a lot of like good data about video games out there, and and even the way that we sort of define video games changes study to study. So yeah, I I know what you're talking about when it's like it, it seems like it could be. You know, pe people like to apply, like you know, a discussion about Doom to a discussion about Halo, and and while they're like similar in appearance, they're they're different games. So this discussion gets kind of muddled because because there's there's so many different there's so many different types of games, and when we say video games, we're sort of generalizing about a, a you know a very large medium, and we're talking you know like the my son plays a little shapes game on my cell phone. And at nighttime, I play Destiny 2 where I'm shooting people in the face online. And those are two very different experiences that um, that are not well defined in a lot of these research studies that are that are happening. And, and, and you know, with psychology and even communication or 
or sociology for that aspect, you're going to have such subjective experiences that, you know, we can only generalize so far. So even in my study, even if like we were to have like 100,000 people, um, which I did not have 100,000 people, uh, but if we were to have 100,000 people, there are 330 million Americans in the United States and some are video game players, some are not. There's so much subjectivity with how that's how those individual results are going to affect that particular person that, of course, that's going to be a limitation. So trying to explain as much variance or those individual characteristics that could affect those relationships, you know, that, that's another thing that you can express to those people is that we are trying to uncover things that work in tandem that can cause these detrimental effects that you guys are instantly regarding as the video game's fault. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. The experiment that you ran. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, you know, how did you set it up? How were people selected to be in this, uh, you know, in the, in the experiment you were running sure. and, and how were results gathered? Sure. So uh, with any experiment, you try to get as, as random of a sample as possible. Um, and then you can control for things like how long ha have you ever played video games? How many consoles do you own? How many video games do you own? You know, things like that, like things that you can statistically can control for. Uh, so we went to an, uh, a class uh, and randomly sampled from a bunch of people and they signed up and received credit for participating in that study. Uh, we had them come into the lab and they were randomly assigned to either that halo condition or the hatred condition, halo being the morally disengaged uh, condition and um, hatred being the morally engaged condition. They would then go back and they were um, essentially put into a free play mode where they could go and play for a half hour. And they were given a sheet with all the controls and things like that, just in case like nobody's ever played that game before. And just given the minimum directions on like what the objective of the game to do, because we didn't want people solely focus on like a tutorial. Because I mean, let's face facts, some people will take a long time in a tutorial to get used to everything. Um, mm -hmm. So they would go and play that for a half hour. Uh, after that half hour, they would go over to what's called a competitive reaction task or a CRT task. And basically on a different computer, they were um, they were on a program. It was a computer-based program that was designed to look like they were playing against a human uh, opponent in a different lab. So it would have like this logon information and it would show them like your opponent from the other lab has been logged on. And basically what it was is there would be a square in the center that would turn from red to yellow to green and as soon as it hit green the participant was instructed to click on it and it essentially uh, took how long it was a reaction time and they were told that whoever won got to punish their opponent and by punishing we had them play a very loud annoying sound that blasts through their headset then um, they could set the intensity to sound zero being virtually no sound and 10 being extremely loud I, and obviously we made this um to the point where it wouldn't damage eardrums or anything like that and it would last anywhere between zero and uh five seconds uh and they would do this a total of 10 times and then they would move on to a uh, follow-up survey in which they were asked to complete three short stories about how they would handle an ambiguous situation um and we wanted to see whether or not that that ambiguous situation, would they handle it more aggressively uh, or would they handle it just, you know, kind of like normal. And then they were just asked some questions, some uh, control questions about the video game to make sure that they were like, how, how, how morally engaging did you find this? How morally disengaging? But we didn't ask them that particular question. We said, like, you know, were you rewarded for killing people? Uh, were, were the bodies distorted? Was anybody screaming out in pain? So to see how many cues that that game actually had and were they able to pick up on those. What were the results of, of that experiment, at least the preliminary results that you were seeing as you were doing that? Uh, so the and w Were they different than sort of what you were expecting? Uh, so they were different than what I was expecting. Um, so my, my argument going into that uh, experiment was that people who saw morally disengaged cues so the ones like that we typically see like uh halo and um call of duty and things like that they would 
show the typical signs of aggression that we commonly refer to with video games. And the reason being is because, you know, there are no moral repercussions to those video games. Uh, there are no moral repercussions to those acts of violence. So it was like, well, they don't, now they're not associating acts of violence with like negativity. They're just associating with like frustration and, and, uh, an achievement. So I thought they would be more aggressive than the people in the morally engaged condition. Well, come to find out that women who played our game were more aggressive with the morally engaged, so the hatred condition, they were more aggressive during that than they were with the morally disengaged condition. Which was Halo, correct? Yes. So women were actually, when they got to commit acts of violence that were like people suffering in pain and... Uh, you know, a guy who's going around committing mass murder, they were actually more aggressive during that, uh, or not during that game, but they were more aggressive after that game than they were after Halo. So that was a, you, you found that there was a distinction between the way that men behaved after playing these games and the way that women behaved after playing the games. Correct. Men followed my, men followed my predicted pattern. Men, it, when they played a morally disengaged game, they were more aggressive than the morally engaged game. But women were the inverse. They, they were showing a different pattern. They were showing that just essentially the opposite. So are you saying that women who played the game Hatred would be more likely to punish their human opponent in that reaction test game afterwards? They did. Like not, not just more likely, they actually did. So during my study, they would actually, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think it was about, a, so if you imagine on a scale from zero to 10, it was about a two and a half point difference. Do you have any thoughts on why? This is the part of the study where we're like a little bit like intrigued about what the findings are. So I have an initial thought and part of the reason is the protagonist of the hatred game was a male figure. So we were wondering if that upset the women more. Seeing, seeing, seeing men create mass murder on screen, correct. you think would maybe cause them to be more aggressive. So we're wondering if that's we're wondering if that's part of the reason. The other thing is like the man who was committing mass murder. I don't I don't think he has a name in the. We just, I just call him the protagonist. Um, but he was able to kill women as well. So, you know, you have a male who's killing both men and women. Whereas in Halo, I mean, I, unless they... And one of the things I didn't measure was whether or not they knew the lore of Halo. So I don't know if, like, women or male gamers for that aspect knew if Master Chief was considered a male or a female. But because, you know, the character has a helmet on and things like that, you you don't necessarily have to worry about the gender or the sex of that character. Whereas this one, you could definitely tell it was a male so i'm hmm. wondering if we're wondering if that had any relationship with that did you interesting i think you mentioned this and but can you clarify did you control for people who play video games versus people who don't play video games at all yeah we did have that as a control variable because like we would think you would think that um we're and this is part of the thing that we are looking into i'm i'm uh trying to partner with another researcher who does a little bit more media um, and has a little bit more media specialty. And we're thinking that, you know, I wonder if it's just because, like, they got frustrated, you know? So we are looking into that, whether or not the frustration of the game and things like that cause it. But we did have it as a control variable, which means we just statistically controlled for the length of time or the amount of time people play video games in an average week. And we didn't, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a significant moderator, so... Well, this this sounds like actually a good a good place to jump into sort of the change that your your study took because you you sort of shifted your focus um, when you when you were starting to see these results, correct? Yeah, a little bit. So, uh, and part of the reason was just because of the um, just because of the participants that I received. I mean, so being in a, a communication program or any social science program for that aspect, you want to try to make your cells and this cells in the designer like so you have to imagine with males and females uh and then hatred and um halo so you have four possible conditions you have a male in hatred a male in halo a female in hatred a female in halo so there's four possible cells we try to make those as even as possible because that's just 
you want to be able to be as like reliable as possible and being able to have an even number and even distribution makes your results more meaningful, you know, because then you can't say that it was skewed one way or another. Um, well, the problem with being in a social science program is when you typically recruit from a social science program, social sciences are between 70 and 80% women. And, uh, my sample was heavily skewed towards women. So to say that these results are permanent and that, you know, this is like what we should focus on is a little bit presumptuous just for the simple fact that there was more women than men. So we do, we, what we're trying to do is salvage the results and focus more on female gamers and kind of dive into that previous question that you were asking is why, why did they do this? So since the, the focus of your study kind of changed to looking more at, you know, the, the ways that women play and react to video games, is there, is there any sort of, um, I don't know, like, are there protections in place in the sciences to minimize or eliminate biases that, that might creep in? Because, I mean, I, I don't know who else is doing the, the study with you, but obviously, uh, obviously you're a man. Um, does that, you know, are there things in place to prevent sort of the, you know, potential male biases from influencing the way the results play out? I think there guidelines or oversight or anything like that. I think the best thing is with any research is just to be cognizant. Part of the reason that people have problems with academic research is because they, they say, well, isn't this biased because you're a male researching females or vice versa? Or, you know, you are biased towards people who make more or less money than you or things like that. And and the, the biggest thing is to just be cognizant. I think that as a, as a social scientist... You know, we, we don't do this just to get significant results. We do this because we want to we want to explain things. And if you let your bias or your biases get into the way of that, then you know you're not producing quality research. So I I think the number one thing is just to be cognizant of how like my personal biases are going to be able to affect this study. Um, you know, you got to be as objective as possible. So I mean, it, it's all going to start with like it could be happening for this reason. So then what you do is you go back and you look for previous research that has either found uh, similar results or you look for things that have tested similar things. And if they all seem to be going in one way, that probably leads you to your answer. And if they're going in opposite directions, that means that you probably need um, a follow-up study. Uh, the whole point is to be as objective as possible. And I think that just being able to recognize your biases uh, uh, helps achieve that goal. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have somebody who is not involved directly with your with your research that could analyze raw data and they wouldn't know if the subject was male or female? Is there anybody doing that kind of analysis on the, on the data that you've collected? Uh, so currently, right now, I have just started the uh, discussion with another researcher and he could absolutely look at my research. And if I wanted to, I could give him my data and eliminate, you know, whether or not these are males or females. And he could analyze it and tell me, you know, one way or another, whether or not that that trend is still showing. There's hmm. another thing I wanted to ask you about. In the first episode that we recorded together, you brought up the similar point that you brought up just now in that you th that one of your thoughts was that female gamers tended to get more frustrated at the video game. And I know that um, uh, at least some of our listeners who are female gamers took exception to that remark from that episode. Uh, and th I was wondering if you could clarify that for us. Yeah, and now don't get me wrong. I am not saying that female gamers are getting more frustrated. What I mean is that we don't we don't have a way or I didn't measure a way to determine whether or not the frustration is what's causing that. So if if hypothetically we have people who are playing less video games and they don't have that skill, then we have to think that frustration may be involved. So sure. this is that was not like and I apologize to any of those listeners, like if that was like a jab, if they thought that, but that, that's that by no means was that a, um, a, a jab at like female gamers. Um, that was just simply saying that 
we don't have a measure that determine whether or not that they were get if they were getting frustrated by the game. I mean, the only thing that we have, or the only thing that I have, is like as these uh, people are playing the video game, and I'm you know for that half hour that I told you about. I, I walk back and forth and kind of like just kind of like monitor how their progress and things like that. And you could kind of see some people were kind of like looking around. They didn't really know what to do or they would stop and look at the instruction sheet again. And we don't really have a way right now or in my preliminary results to account for that. So that's what I meant by that comment. Thank you for gotcha. Yeah, because yeah. you I think initially you'd sort of posited a few things which i think we've just covered again so yeah there was the there's the comment about potential frustration there was the comment about um the fact that it could be because it was a, a male um well i hesitate to use the word protagonist but it was a male that the player was controlling that was performing the violence and i was i'm actually curious you know is there is there a way to perform a you know, some sort of study to get to the root of what causes those differences, sort of besides just looking at the differences and sort of blindly guessing at, um, you know, are, you know, is it because there's frustration or is it because there's, un, you know, uh, you know, a, a, whatever reasons you can come up with, is there a way to sort of design an experiment that will help you narrow down what it is causing those differences? Or is it literally just, you have to put people in, you know, collect enough data accounting for as many variables as possible to figure that out well i mean you could uh, you could always like make this a, a multi-part study so for instance like let's say study one was this and we found these issues that we're currently talking about and we want to come and we want to do a follow-up so let's say we want we're just talking about frustration um we put people into an extremely frustrating game and we put people into a very easy Dark game. Souls. We're talking about Dark Souls. We all, we all know we're talking about Dark Souls. <laughs> or yeah, we could. Or we or we put somebody into a game that's very confusing as well. Like something that it doesn't come like naturally to you. Like you have to like go through like me, I I just recently um I, I never played uh like RPG like not RPGs, but um oh my goodness, um like turn based RPGs. And I just okay. played my first one, and it was like really frustrating for me at the first time. And I know I was getting pretty angry at first, but then as you pick it up, that you know that frustration, that anger goes down. So I mean, if we were to put somebody into a frustrating game and then put somebody into a normal game uh, that's very easy to grasp, uh, then maybe we could see the difference, like whether or not like does aggression transfer based on you know frustration uh, in a video game or. Uh, and then once we have that answer, then we develop another follow-up study. So there, there's many things that we can do. So if we think frustration, or for the, uh, let's go to the male protagonist thing. I'm I'm trying to think of a way, because so, like originally when you said that, the first thing I was thinking, well, would there be a way to make the uh, make the the player of that game blind to what the protagonist, is, like what the sex of the protagonist? I'm thinking, well, you know, they're going to intrinsically find out. You know, because you have to see the person, especially in a third person walking around. But if we were to play a first person video game and let's say it was Halo, you know, if, if you didn't know the lore about it or anything like that, you know, you never see like the face uh, in a first person unless, you know, you get to the end of it. Um, and for that matter, they have gloves on the hands. So if you were to put somebody in a first person game where they like the sex is unknown versus a first person where the sex is known. Now we can see whether or not having a protagonist, you know, affects it. But then, you know, now we're mm -hmm. adding another variable because what, well, once again, Halo is completely different from hatred. A first person game is completely different than an isometric, uh, top down game. So it, I, there's going to be a little bit of like, you know, benefits and costs to doing each one of these studies i feel like as we talk about this i'm starting to realize like why there aren't so why there aren't any definitive research or there hasn't been any definitive research up until this point because that's so difficult to do i feel like you might even need to actually develop a video game specifically for this this type of experiment where maybe it's a first person game you know your identity is unknown and for one group of one group of people, uh, you're you're going through the game towards an objective, and the only way to do that is to commit violent acts. 
And then for the other group of people that you're comparing them to, it's the same exact game, but you're doing nonviolent acts to complete the exact same objective. Maybe it's a dialogue tree or something. But I almost feel like that would have to be a custom game developed specifically for this type of study. So, um, yeah, there's there's so many variables here that it almost seems almost impossible to do objectively, and I guess or purely objectively for this type of study. Yeah, what I've Absolutely. heard, what I've heard a lot about is researchers will partner up with um, basically like a game designer, and they'll just mod, you know, an, an easily modifiable game. So something on like say Unreal, you know, Unreal technology. Mm-hmm. I think they're fairly open source with that stuff for allowing modification. So you know, researchers will will partner with with people who know how to actually sort of change the. Um, the parameters of the game in order to isolate those, you know, those things that they're, they're looking at in their studies. Absolutely. Um, but that, that to me sounds like it takes time and money and I don't know. You <laughs> that's, know I don't, a, that's a grad <laughs> student. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the problem with being a grad student. available to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys, if well, you guys become millionaires, we could do this. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that's what, that's the, that's the goal of this podcast is we're all going to, we're all going to get rich. <laughs> I got you. Um, so Corey, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not sure how far you made it into the, the study where you were looking more at, um, sort of the women's side of this. Um, how, how far did you make it when you sort of transitioned your focus? Uh, so we got, uh, we're, we're oh, I'm trying to think of the exact number. I think we're just over a hundred women. That you've that you've ran um, ran through uh, both the Halo and the Hatred condition. So like you, you're thinking around forty five to fifty per cell. Gotcha. Now did that were you able to use results from the previous study or did you have to no, we combine, redesign the experiment? No, we combined them because we kept them we kept the conditions the same and all the um the procedures the same. Now what was the since I th- this has not been published, but what did you were you seeing? after you sort of switched focus over to this, you know, to focusing more on women in video games. That was the same thing that I was finding in that previous study. For some reason, that that aggression is continuing with the engage, uh, morally engaged and dissipating in the morally disengaged. So we gotcha. don't so we don't no know further Yeah, no further no, there's nothing that's there's nothing else at this point. I have other variables um that are in there and we're going to use a program called Luke and what Luke does is it looks at um, it looks at you know it, it analyzes free response so it's almost like doing a content analysis of what they're putting for those short stories so people write macros for these uh, for this program all the time so right now it's can looks it can look at you know the number of adverbs and the number of positive emotion words and the uh, number of negative emotion words um, so I'm looking into getting a macro for that that looks at the amount of like what they co- uh, what they consider aggressive terminology, um, and then I'm I'm gonna partner with that research and kind of see uh, I'm gonna give him all the variables that I have and kind of see like if he has any other ideas as to what could be going on and you know see if we can get that to a state where it can either be at one of our conferences or you know willing under publication in your research you hit um i don't know what to call it a, a speed bump or a like a, a problem um can you tell tell me a little bit about that i don't know what to call it so i'll, I'll let you define it for our listeners as, as you see it but what what issues did you encounter when you were doing your research uh there was just uh some minor uh just some minor issues that were going on with uh some of the people that were overseeing the project and we had to take a little hiatus from doing any more research until we kind of have that figured out. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's that's about it. it. It didn't affect the results of my study. So we just we just want to take the necessary precautions to make the study as you know reputable as possible. Are you able to be? maybe any more specific about what the the issue was that came up without naming names or anything like that? Um, so essentially what happened is a scholar uh, 
was under investigation because results were a little bit inconsistent and didn't really make sense. So upon further examination, they couldn't reproduce the results. So that just got a little backlash for that. Now, that was in a study separate from your own, correct? Yes, this was, this was something that I was not part of, and it wasn't even actually done at the university. This had nothing to do with us. I got you. So what could that potentially mean for your study as, as you go forward? Well, see, so the thing is, is it, how do I say this? It, it's, it's me, maybe it's me being paranoid, maybe it's me being just extra cautious, but it's simply, I don't think it's going to do anything to my study. It's not going to jeopardize the integrity of my study. And that's why I'm taking this necessary precautions. So I'm trying to get somebody um, who does a little bit more media and uh, work at the university who can help disseminate some of the results that I have and kind of like look at some of those trends uh, and, you know, kind of getting away from that part, which could have, you know, how do I say this? If I, if I told you not to think of a elephant, what's the first thing you're going to think of? Turkeys. Turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An elephant. Obviously. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a common reactance thing. So if there is anything that has to do with uh, research that could, you know, it could potentially put a negative spin on it or just, you know, even have somebody like look into it f- going in with a bias. I don't, I, you know, there's, there's no, there's no reason for that. There's no need for that. So, gotcha. that's, that's, so you have to do your due diligence to kind of nib that in the butt and, and make sure yeah. that you, you have your bases covered. Correct. And, and here's the thing. I don't know everything that happened with that. Uh, I just, you know, we are given the amount of information that we need. Like, it's like, you know, you're on need to know basis and this is the only thing that you need to know. Um, and me being a very proactive and uh, very protective person of my research. That's, I just took a little step back for a second, kind of let everything kind of settle and we're going to start it back up. Does this speed bump mean anything for you in practical terms? Like did this extend, um, you know, you receiving your PhD or graduating or anything like that? Or is it, were you able to sort of like, get no, it all under all. control in time for all that. No. Okay. No, not at all. It's like I said, the, 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 <laughs> I guess the most frustrating thing is when you have results and you have something that's interesting. The first thing you want to do is like, okay, why is this happening? Why is this happening? So taking a step back for a second to kind of like let things settle. It, it's just, it's just like, man, I just want to figure out what happened. It's more intrigue. Yeah. It's more, it's more intriguing than anything. So what is your current time frame for sort of uh, completing your data, your data gathering and analysis on this? On this pr- uh, current project? So we are, so I'm finishing my dissertation collection right now. Um, and the researcher that I was talking to, it's the end of the semester. So all the professors are, you know, doing their grading. They're finishing up their projects. We're actually, you know, there's a conference that's getting ready. Uh, people want to submit to by March. So we want to try to start working on it when things are slow in either January or February. And then we would like to get this out again for review, hopefully, in March. And this is this will be for our national conference that we have. And I typically will submit to that conference and then kind of get some feedback from there, whether or not it's accepted or uh, rejected based on whatever reason. Um, and then so would you ap- be presenting your findings to like, a, like an auditorium full of people? Is that how that works? Uh, auditorium would be a big up, a big step. Uh, that would be very nice. Um, no, but basically what it is is there's probably it, it's our national conference. Essentially, just there's a bunch of different divisions in communication. So you know you have your interpersonal, you have your media, you have your common tech, you have your video games, you have rhetoric, all these different things. So it's like a room of people who study similar things, and on a panel of people who may be doing different things that are are similar. So like me, if this study was to go anywhere, it would probably be on a panel with like four or five other papers that would be about people maybe studying aggression, maybe study video games, maybe studying moral disengagement cues. Now, do they have time to uh, review this beforehand and uh, ask you questions during that? And you, I assume you would have to defend your, your hypothesis? So they don't actually – so the review process for this, they actually don't ask you questions. They You submit the best paper that it's – so uh, how do I say this? Like, so 
conference presentations are a little bit different than publication. Uh, when you have a conference presentation, you submit it, and the ones that I've at least submitted to have either been you're either in or you're out. Um, hmm. And they will typically give you feedback. So basically, if somebody has a problem with your study, they will send you feedback and um, how you can improve it for the future or what they had a problem with and why they excluded it. Publication is a little different in the sense that if what you're saying is if they find that it merits consideration, you might get a revise and resubmit where they're like, okay, well, we would consider this if you did these things and you're able to prove like A, B, and C. And and that's a little bit different. With um, submitting for publication, is there is there a goal? Like, I feel like a lot of these studies sort of, how to like say this politely like they all kind of get no just go sit say it normal well i feel like they'll get thrown into a pile like i feel like um like research i don't know how research gets used after it's after it's done like what happens is it gets cataloged and then if someone happens to be looking for something similar they find it or is this something that you take and present to like people actually working in the video game industry how, you know what's what's the goal for what, what happens with this after it's done and, and your goal with it? Uh, so my personal goal would be the latter. I would like if I find something like that is like if we find something that's publishable and another like so you got to think that when a, when an article is published, that means that other scholars in your field have merited its worth and want others to read it. And, you know, it's popular. I mean, journals cost money. Uh, the, um, so they cost money to print. They cost money to catalog online. So, you know, it, it is an honor to be published in these things. Now, I completely agree with you. That I think there's more that and, – and this is just for any field out there. There's more that we can be doing to take our information and to take our findings and transform them to a point where the general public and those those audiences that we want them to reach you, we can, we can do a better job at doing that. So, for instance, you are right. There are sometimes some significant results that go out there. And let's say facts. They go into a journal and they die. Right. They go in, they're never heard from again, or they're not used for the to, to benefit like society in a way that they probably should be. So my biggest goal is to find something. And yes, I would love to get it published. I would love to get it presented to other researchers. And that's, you know, that's why there's both the publication and the conference. You know, you, for the conference, mm -hmm. you can go and you can talk to people about it. You can get that one on one interpersonal interaction with people. Um once it's published, it probably has a little bit more clout to want to go up and speak to another, like an uh, an executive at a video game industry, or like maybe to the FCC um, or the Electronic Sales uh, Association. So you know you got that publication behind you, like yeah, it's published. Um, but I think we need to do a better job, and this is just the scientific community in general of just getting our results out there and just saying like, hey, you know this is why this is useful. You know, and we were talking about that at the beginning of this episode, you know, we were saying, you know, what is your ultimate goal or what, um, what, what is the ultimate goal of like, you know, designing this study? And it's, yeah, we want to inform people. We want it to actually have some sort of meaningful change. Use your powers for good. I know, uh, Blizzard and I'm sure many other companies, they hire people like psychologists and, uh, economists to figure out. Uh, the best way to sell people microtransactions, you know, mm. like there's that there's that whole theory of what gets people addicted to games and how do we maximize that for profit? Um, so it's it's cool that you're doing this kind of work. And I, I think in a big picture, I could see this type of research being used to make video games better. Um, not necessarily saying that we're going to make games less violent, but we're going to elicit experiences that have meaningful interpretations by the people who play them. And they're not just mindless running people over with cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, I was just talking about this this weekend with our, uh, our good friend, Chester Copperpot, that I think you know, video games, I think our community is best when we sort of, self-regulate you know so Corey, as someone who's a fan of video games and as someone who's also looking into making you know how do we make representations of violence in video games more responsible that's that's the sort of the ideal situation and not like <laughs> i hate seeing situations like what we're seeing now with loot boxes in the ea games where 
now like the government is trying to step in and regulate as gambling and and once we start to start to get these outside entities looking into video games i think things get a lot worse for all of us so i i appreciate the um you know the, the work that you're doing as well at you know trying to trying to figure out from the inside like you know what's good about games and and what's problematic and how do we how do we address those situations in responsible ways outside of strict regulation so i guess that's sort of just me jumping onto jared's point there but yeah and like and to to further that point i would like to see that kind of research and data being used towards creating games that foster a positive community so you know this is more towards multiplayer games or games as a service um i know there are some games like dota 2 and league of legends that kind of only recently started figuring out ways to reward good behavior and not just punish those people who are you know problematic and, and toxic for that community they're actually redesigning some of their systems that would encourage people to just naturally be better people within the game and uh, i think a lot of that has to do with with the way the game is is laid out and i mean so you're starting to see that a little bit with like games that have that like moral decision making um and and I don't I don't know why I keep thinking about this game just maybe because it's an awesome game like the Bioshock game with uh, whether or not you're gonna harvest or uh, save the little sisters like yeah, yeah like if you harvest them you get a, a a crap ton of Adam right there but then if you you know you you make this moral decision to save them and yeah you might not get it all but like ultimately like that moral act benefits you in the long run but even with the communities like you know i was playing rocket league the other day and i'm like i'm like wow like people hate everybody on this <laughs> you could have just left it at people hate period yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah it's just you know like yeah i i you you want to go online to play something and and make an escape you know i mean that's one of the reasons that like a use and, uh, you know, if we go to uses and gratifications for playing video games, one of the things we do is use video games as a form of an escape, right? And then I'm escaping to a place where somebody calls me, like, every, like, derogatory term in the book <laughs> because I, like, took a one-degree turn to the right on accident. Or my controller died, and for some reason, if we lose this game, you know, I have to sacrifice their firstborn child to like let them play again <laughs> Corey, what's next for you man after this after this study's done what's on the horizon uh you know uh, <laughs> it, just get a job man <laughs> right that's just what i'm trying <laughs> you know and i would love to be able to continue researching um I, I think that trying to find stuff you know if i can get this published okay so there's, there's a couple different tracks i want to take with with this type of research like I said, I want to be able to learn as much about what causes, you know, the aggression that is related to video games. And for that matter, I mean, my personal research outside of video games focuses on like terrorism and stuff like that. So, you know, we had these recent, uh, the Las Vegas shooting and there was no motive. Um, and, you know, trying to understand like what is causing, like what sort of communication traits are causing this. And, you know, when that happened, the, um, the NRA and uh, guns were under attack, like the guns are what's causing this. And then when somebody attributes something to video games, video games are what's causing this. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's the same argument. But it's interesting to think about it from that aspect. You know, rather than blaming that person, we are blaming a tool or an instrument that could or could not have been, you know, you know, something that uh, helped that. Now, obviously, a gun in that case is going to help a little bit more, but I just like being able to, like, when people make these these uh, these associations, I like playing devil's advocate and kind of thinking, like, well, you know, what what about that association? Like, what's your, what's your logical explanation for that? Like, why? What is the underlying mechanism? And that's, and that's my thing. So I, when I continue my video game research, and, or for any research for that aspect, what is the underlying mechanism for some sort of cause and effect relationship that we see in an everyday circumstance and we take it for granted or we don't necessarily dive into, like, why is this happening? So if you continue to do uh, 
studies in the future, they may not all be video game related, but you think they're you think you'd always sort of be looking at aggression. Is that something that that interests you? I, you know, <laughs> I always get made fun of in the department because they said that I, I am the happiest researcher because I look at terrorism, torture, aggression and things like that. So, you know, I, I love looking at the things that just make people snap. I love looking at things that are kind of taboo, but not from a sexual standpoint, but from a like, you know, we don't the dark side, you know, the dark yeah. side of things that happen, like the dark side of life that people just kind of forget not forget, but just put on the back burner and don't want to think about it. You know, these, these are things that are always going to exist just because we don't think about them doesn't mean that they don't exist. Well, what does that, what does that mean for, uh, looking for work? You, you mentioned earlier that you're, you're looking for uh, a job. What would be like your, what would be the ideal career course for someone who has a PhD in communications? Uh, ideally just being able to do something with research, uh, whether or not that that's academia, whether or not it's an independent company doing research. Uh, I, so I, I think one of the, one of the biggest phrases I've seen around looking for jobs right now is called a social and behavioral scientist or a analytic methodologist. And those are fancy ways of saying I'm a researcher uh, and I study human behavior. And that's what I do. You know, I like to say that communication is where psychology leaves off. You know, psychology is primarily what happens in the mind and communication is about the message. So if I can work in tandem with those people, I mean, think about it. Why would we not want to have two people working together that can complete that process? Um, so I would like to do something where I can research human behavior, specifically calm behavior. And yes, I'm always going to have a place in my heart to study video games. And I'm always going to want to study video games uh, as a as a as a side project in addition to you know whatever research I may be sanctioned or funded to do at that point in time. And so, what would sort of be the the first step? Jared and I both uh, we both graduated with uh, BAs in film and media production, and for us, I mean, for people in our field, sort of the first step is you you leave school and then you be, you go become a production assistant on a television shoot or a film shoot, but what's, you know, sort of what's the first step for you after leaving the program? Uh, well, if I go the academic route, it would be being a professor somewhere, uh, whether or not that that's an R1 institution, which primarily focuses on research or getting my foot in the door as a professor, as an R2, where you're going to teach a little bit more. Uh, you're just going to want to do something that kind of gets your foot in the door, uh, shows that you, you are competent, uh, in research, that you have a good publication record, that you are willing to teach students, which is, I mean, essentially the only way that we're going to pass our knowledge on and continue our fields is by teaching students. So I absolutely re uh, understand the importance of that. And I think that it's a very, very uh, good thing to do and want to do. Uh, if I was going to go more public or private sector, it would be probably just, you know, being a social and behavioral scientist just at the bottom, to put it lightly, at the bottom of the food chain. You know, uh, you could become a postdoctoral researcher or you could just become a intro introductory researcher, one that needs a Ph.D. Um, you know, something that looks at uh, somebody that primarily looks at data and how, you know, how we can quantify human communication behavior. So, I mean, that's that's another thing like me. Uh, I focus a lot with quantitative data. I, I think numbers are awesome. So looking at something that maybe highlights that as an introductory skill that they need and being able to transform that into salient results that uh, we can use. Very cool, man. Well, I hope, uh, I, I hope you find exactly what you're looking for, man. I, it's been awesome talking with you and, uh, if you and if you end up getting published, interesting. yeah, like once you after you present your your stuff, uh, definitely you know send us a link to it if it's uh, going up online anywhere because I'd love to. No, read you it. guys will be the first that I contact. I appreciate that. Awesome, man. Yeah, that that'll be really cool, and we'll be happy to to share that with uh, with our listeners when you conclude that. I appreciate that. Thank you, um, Jared. Yes. Did you have anything else for our wonderful guest? No, I don't think so. It's uh, it's an ongoing study, so it's going to be, I think, a, a living beast at this point. So we'll we'll probably have to follow up again um, toward towards the end of it once it gets wrapped up. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, because it's a little bit of a weird one, we're going to get to everyone's wonderful tweets and emails during our regularly scheduled programming. However, if you have any questions or comments about this bonus episode or any of our previous topics, 
please send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. We'll do our best to get to everyone's messages in future shows. Before we get out of here, I, I have to thank Corey Pavlich. Corey, thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend to come talk with us about your study. I was I was super interested in it when you first brought it um, brought it up in episode five, and um, you know I'm, I'm I was sorry to hear that you sort of hit some some roadblocks, but I'm I'm excited to see where it goes, man. So thank you for spending time with us. No, thank you. And you know that's that's the academic process. Um, that's the research process. You know, learn, adapt. You know. Now, Corey, is there a good place for our listeners to follow you or find your research? Yeah. So, I mean, I have my own website, which is coreypavlich.com, um, or you can just go on to Google Scholar and uh, search my name, Corey Pavlich, and uh, you should see some links to some various communication articles that I've written. Uh, so, yeah, those are th- those would probably be the two best areas to see that at. Right on. Well, thank you again, man. As a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks, and because this is a weird holiday time of year, uh, our next episode is going to be going up next Monday, December 4th, so be on the lookout for that one. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. And I'm at Jared Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just have your data backing it up. All right. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) sir.